This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing well? Not wet? Well, it's, <clears throat> it's very much an honour to come and actually speak to the AM service. I've done it at the PM a few times. Um, and so very keen to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Um, I'm a school chaplain at Wyong Christian Community School. And ironically, um, we've been doing the fruits of the Spirit for the last two terms. So if anything, I should know at least something about the fruits, um, hopefully. And hopefully something that you might get new from um, listening this morning. Well, I thought I'd start with a few jokes. I know Pastor John likes jokes, and if you've heard me before in the PM, I do like my jokes as well. Supposedly, I'm really good at chicken jokes. That's debatable. Um, but yes, I was going to start off by saying thank you very much for the opportunity to speak today. I absolutely appreciate it. There we go. Hey, that went better than I thought. Here we go. Here's a joke. Let's run away and get married. I'm sorry, but I cantaloupe. Get it? It's a cantaloupe. Um, how do you make a strawberry shake? You put it in a freezer because it's cold. You know, okay. <laughs> All right, they're just going downhill from here. Uh, why did the banana go to the doctor? I think this is probably my least favourite, but let's see how we go. Because it wasn't peeling well. I, I hear the... Uh, <laughs> just, just the sympathy right now. Um, and here we go, a Bible cartoon around the fruits of the Spirit. Um, he found that eating fruits of the Spirit directly was less filling. There you go. There you go. So I have the awesome privilege to talk on the fruits of the Spirit. As I said, I've been doing it for the last two terms. And so it's exciting to talk about it. We've been talking about it in Bible study. It's been talked about in the last few services as well, um, connecting to the spiritual gifts of recent. And so why don't we read together? Galatians 5, which, we've been, uh, which is the fruit of the Spirit, from verse 13. If you want to get your Bibles open, you're most welcome. There is a screen, but if you have your Bibles, I definitely encourage you to read. Galatians 5, 13 to the end. I was waiting. I'm hearing pages turn. All right. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite um, of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. 
When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before that, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another, or be jealous of one another. Powerful. Big hit. You know, I realize that Paul in the Bible really likes his big king hits. He's like big, hey guys, just so you know, if you're feeling down already, here you go. Just so you know, this is how we want to be. So before I get into it, I really wanted to sort of express my Bible nerd and history teacher within me. I'm a Bible teacher and history teacher at Wang as well. And so, I wanted to share a little bit of geography. I'm a geography teacher as well, so here we go. It's all the fun things in high school. It's not maths or English. I always hear kids say maths and English aren't the best subjects, and everyone starts throwing hands. (laughs) Uh, Here's a map of the ancient world, Roman world. Um, So, Galatians, right? It is a letter from Paul to the church at Galatia. And so sometimes we read the Bible without context and understand, oh, well, what's that? It's just a letter, oh, it's just written to us. But actually, in actual fact, it was written to a church in Galatia. And Galatia is in modern-day Turkey. Okay, there's my little, my little circle. And so if we go a little deeper, there's Galatia in the center of what is called Anatolia. And so here's a little bit of fact for you. The people of Galatia were actually Celtic people, Gauls, that had been living in the region for around 300 years by the time of Paul speaking. Rome had created the name Gaul when they first came across these people over near, you know, France and Italy. And they were called Gauls from there on in for the Romans. And so these Celtic people who were Gauls, to the Romans, they call this place Galatia, which to people is the land of the Gulls, all right? So, a lot of countries do this, okay? So, for instance, the Germans, the land of the Germans was called Germania. The Italians, Italia, the land of the Rus, which were a Viking people who moved into Russia, is Russia, the land of the Rus. And so, that IA at the end of it tells us that it's the land of this type of people, And so, we know this, that these people are Galatians, who are Gauls or Celtic. And so, there's a bit of understanding that these people are different to the people that Paul has been talking to before. We hear, you know, we hear about the Greeks in Athens. We hear about um, his own people in Jerusalem. And so, we're talking to people who would be more so, of course, Roman. There would be lots of different peoples, but there would be a huge population of Gaulish people. And so, to understand, these populations were very versed in agriculture and agrarian sort of stuff. So, thinking about this, they produced these sort of fruits, mostly in that area. 
Okay, there we go. If you don't, if you need help with that, that's a grape or many grapes, many grapes, and that is an apple. It's not a Granny Smith apple. Granny Smiths are green, right? Yeah, red delicious, red delicious. Yeah, no, nah. Fuji. What's the other one? I can't remember. Pink Lady. That's the other one. And so this is the sort of fruit. So they were understanding what it was to pre- create fruit. So producing fruit to the Galatians wasn't a different thing. It wasn't like, oh, Paul's talking about something we don't know about. But actually, they know about it. And still today, they still create, produce these fruits. And so we have to also understand that the church around this time was going through a lot of discussions around what believers were, Christians should be, and what they should follow and how they should live. And so a lot of people who were Jewish believers believed that, hey, these new Christians, these Gentiles who are becoming believers, should actually follow the Jewish law. And so one of the main conversations that you read in Galatians and you read elsewhere is that um, circumcision was a big thing. And so this idea that factions started being brought about because there were people that Paul was saying, no, 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 you don't need to follow this law. And then there's Jewish population, some of them, not all of them, were pushing this idea that, hey, if you are to come to Christ, you actually have to follow X, Y, and Z and do this. And so if you look at the whole letter of Galatians from start to here, this is the conversation happening so far. And so even in verse 20, we read about factions and dissensions and divisions. And so Paul is really pinpointing the issues that are happening in Galatia at this time. And then, of course, replacing them with the fruit. So what is good? So over the last two terms, we've been talking about all these different fruits at school. And I understand that there's lots of different ideas and we read deep into these sort of fruit and understand that they are characteristics of how we should be living as Christian, Holy Spirit-filled people. And so I can't just pick one today to talk about. I'd love to encourage you to go deeper into this uh, when you go home today. But focusing on a sum, for instance, over that two terms, we realize that it actually is not fruits, There's not many fruits, but it is one fruit that produces in us. And then the other thing that I really liked from my investigations is that joy, one of the biggest ones that I I got to speak on over the last two terms, is not just an emotion, but is actually a fully response to being in the presence of God and the grace that God has given us. So really cool. So I encourage you to look deeper into some of these but one of the ones I always get stuck on, not, not in the sense of, oh, that shouldn't be there, but one I get stuck on is this whole idea of goodness. Goodness. And so I actually think, and I go, Paul, mate, you've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these big words that have so much multifaceted ideas and concepts to it. And you say, Goodness? You know, I use goodness or good, let's go to the idea of good, when I can't think of a good description. Straight up, that was good. You know, even the questions that I get asked sometimes, I'm still, I still have a teenage mindset when my wife Haley talks to me about some things and I need to get better. How was your lunch? Good. How was your day? 
Good? How are you going? Yeah, I'm good. You know? And when I describe something, when I'm using it as an adjective or some sort of, like, good is a good day. It's a good burger. And so, this word that is used <clears throat> is so versatile at explaining and not explaining a situation at the same time. That it's good, yeah, but what does that mean? Yeah, cool, what's good about it? And so he's used this idea of goodness as like a, here you go. Well, that's at least what I see. And I really go, Paul, you really know how to explain to us what this good is. And it made me start thinking about what is good. And so that's my question up there. And my thoughts about good, right, started me on this track around pizza, right? Believe it or not, I've never had a bad pizza. Have you ever had a bad pizza? Okay, well, I'm different to you. <laughs> now, I believe, this is my theory, and I've probably been proven wrong, but I don't care, I'm going to keep talking about it anyway, is that the only way you can have a bad pizza is by, well, if you eat your pizza and have something you're allergic to, well, that's pretty bad. Um, or if you eat a pizza that you 100% know that something's on it that you don't like, well, of course it's going to be bad. But for me, I don't like anchovies, so I wouldn't eat pizza with anchovies because that would be bad. I know I'm coming into a bad pizza. But I think my quality scale of pizza, right, starts from okay to amazing. Because for me, and it could be personal preference, that I've never had a bad pizza. I've always been okay about it. Yeah, it's not good. It's not great. It's not amazing. Yeah, it's okay. I, I enjoyed it to some extent because it's pizza. And even my own cooking, when I make pizza, it's so easy. Here, put some sauce on it, throw some food on it, put it in the oven. Quick 10 minutes. Easy. So even for me, the, the sort of ratio of time and then enjoyment is pretty good. And so then I start using this scale towards other foods and it doesn't work so well. You know, I 100% have had bad pasta, you know. There's been bad gluggy pasta, you know, your bolognese, your carbonara, whatever. There's been times where I've had a bad pasta dish. And I love pasta, bad lasagna. I love other cousins of these Italian sort of foods. And so my scale changes drastically. So I guess my question to you is what defines good? What defines good to you? Here is the Merriam-Webster uh, dictionary. You can get this offline. And her first definition is something that is good. No jokes. Sweet. Thanks, Merriam-Webster. You know, you and Paul must be talking about something. You know, something that is good. Has that described to me what is good? It doesn't tell me anything. All right. The next one. Something conforming to the moral order of the universe. Okay. All right. I get this. This is a bit better. And then my last one. Praiseworthy character. Goodness. Which is the quality or state of being good. Okay. The quality or state of being good. <clears throat> I think she's kind of given me a bit of an idea of what good is. But it's really started me off really, un, you know, not well. And so, 
Still my question <laughs> holds out to be, what is good? <laughs> and so let's take that middle definition of moral order of the universe. So if it's good, there's a morality to it. To understand morality, we have to understand that morality is different for everyone. So that's hard. So if morality is different, then everyone's sense of good would be different as well. And so even in this room, even though we all may proclaim that Christ is Lord, good to us could be very different depending on our understanding, our background, our cultural bring up, brought up, our family situations. Good can be so different and so morality is so different depending on what we think is okay and what is not okay. And so, for instance, right, my daughter is one and for whatever reason, she's figured out, at least in our household, what is right and what is wrong in the sense of don't do this, and do this. Well, we don't actually say do this, it's more don't do this. And for whatever reason, she's figured out as a one-year-old to give us a face of like, yeah, I know I'm doing the wrong thing here, and I'm going to look at you specifically straight in the eyes to tell you that I know that I'm doing the wrong thing. And as soon as you walk close to go, I know what you're trying to do, Nora, I know what you're going to do, she crawls quickly to what she's not supposed to be touching, not supposed to be picking up. And she knows. So there's an understanding that there is a space that morality gets brought up in those sort of spaces and she knows, and maybe that's not a moral question, maybe, hey, that's hot, don't do that, or hey, don't eat that, but hey, I know that's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. So we're already predisposed, I guess. It's hilarious, the face she gives me, the face she gives me. <laughs> Anyway, here's some scholars on the argument. Let's see if we can get some more understanding here. So Oscar Wilde is a writer, if you didn't know. Morality is simply the attitude we adopt towards people whom we personally dislike. Right. So I have to be good to this person because I don't like them. Okay, that's hard. How many people? No, I'm not going to put a hand up. All right, okay. This one, Franz D. Wall. Human morality is unthinkable without empathy. Okay, we're getting somewhere. Empathy is understanding someone's situation and then coming and lovingly doing something about it, feeling that you're a part, like, in that situation. Okay, let's go to the next one. John Locke, a philosopher, to love our neighbour... As ourselves is such a truth for regulating human society that by that alone one might determine all the cases in social morality. Okay. Here we go. I think we're getting a bit deeper and getting to where we want to be. I think this is kind of getting closer to what we're actually been reading. Douglas Moo, a theologian and a commentary on Galatians, says this, Love is both the reason why we serve others and the manner in which we serve others because we've, we've come from to love our neighbours and so, as Christians, and this is a Christian himself, love is both the reason why we serve others and the manner in which we serve. And so, to love our neighbours as ourselves, And we understand this. When, when Pastor John and Pastor Johnny were talking about the spiritual gifts, that it's all good for us to have all these spiritual gifts and do things with our spiritual giftings, our talents, all right, things that God has given us. <clears throat> but without love, there's no point. And we read that in 1 Corinthians 13. 
If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificing my own body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. For love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. And so, to understand, for us to be good is to be like God. Now, I know that's not an easy feat, and of course, I think God knew that when he brought Jesus to die for us, right? that we're not going to be 100% like God because we can't. We're sinful. I'm sinful. We do the wrong things. We are, we are prone to touching the hot stove when we shouldn't be touching the hot stove or eating that food that we shouldn't be. My daughter's examples, for instance. And so for us, we need to love others to be part of that goodness. And so as a fruit of the Spirit, goodness is to be like God. And the Greek word for goodness for good and goodness, uh, the root word for goodness is agathos, okay? And so agathos, the love, uh, sorry, the good of God, to be good like God. And so <clears throat> when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, I really want to encourage us that it's not a ticker box to say, well, I need to be like this in the sense that I have to be. Because when we start doing that, we start putting a law over ourselves that, oh gosh, I've got to be like that. And if I don't, I'm going to have troubles. But it's actually a reminder for us to understand that these are the ways that we start seeing God at work in our lives. And God wants us to work in this way because God wants his creation to love him and love others. And so, we need to let the Holy Spirit guide us. We can't do it on our own. That's the whole point of Jesus coming to die for us. That this whole idea of works mentality, that we have to do such an amazing job at being Christians. What is, it, what is even a good Christian is a good question to ask. How can we be a good Christian? Well, we can't, but God can through us. And so we need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. I think the NIV talks about walking along with the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And Paul actually expresses that we need to be specifically decisive about this choice. That as Christians, we have Jesus who's died for us and we, we proclaim him as Lord, but then we do nothing about it easiest path for us to go back to our natural inclinations is to do nothing, okay? Our sinful nature is our, just our normal setting. 
And so we actually need to make specific decisions to love people. That's hard. Specific spaces where I have to be self-controlled. Gosh, that is really hard. But we have to be decisive about it. Not in, as I said, not in a religious way, but to actually go, I need to start moving in a way that Christ loved me and so I need to love others. And Paul says this in 17 and 18. Now the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Because we are inclined to sin. Not to say that, oh, woe is me, I'm a sinner. But for us to understand that that's how we're going to be if we don't decide to do differently. It's so easy to be someone who sins, because it's just who we are. It's harder to love someone when it's hard to love. When you've just had that fight with someone, oh, got to love you. <laughs> when you decide that this is probably the best decision and you go, oh, no, nah, it's okay, I'd rather do the easier one. We need to make choices to actually live by the Spirit. And that's what, we're, that's what Paul's encouraging the Galatians here. Fung, in his commentary, says this, the Holy Spirit is not a perpetual motion machine which operates automatically in the life of the believer, but a person who is working the Christian can respond to, depend on and cooperate with. Therefore, the Christian faces the decision whether to follow the Spirit in this way or to give in to the flesh. Paul even makes it clear here in Galatians 5.13 at the start of the passage we read for you have been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature instead use your freedom to serve one another in love wow we have freedom in Christ but what does that mean well if we have freedom in Christ and we're confessing Him and we're living it out, then we are showing love to others. We are being little Christs to other people on this earth. That's what it is to be a Christian, little Christs. And so, just to understand that Paul is making this distinction between the law and what is freely given through grace, because remember, the Galatians and the church around the area at that time were talking about, well, no, you need to be under the law if you're a Christian. If you are a non-Jewish believer, you need to be under the law, and you need to do this, this, and this. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. You are free in faith, and you have grace given to you by Christ. But to make sure that point doesn't get lost, to say, oh, well, those Christians, they're just loose. But actually, you have freedom. But that freedom, there are boundaries, but in the sense of love, not in the sense of law. Don't use your freedom to do whatever you want. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. 
the difference between a self-seeking love and the thoughtfulness of others. Because he says this, and this is his slam dunk to those who believe differently. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And this whole idea that all the laws, everything gets summed up by that is a big explosion in the brain, really. Go, wow. Because when we start loving others, we actually take on the Spirit of Christ. Because it is so hard to love others. It is so hard to care for people in a way without an agenda, without reasoning behind it. And that's the whole point. The first fruit is agape, which is the unconditional love of God. And so for us to live as God's people on this earth, we need to be living with unconditional love. No agenda, no conditions to it, not a contract that, hey, if, you, if I do this for you, you do this for me. But to actually go, I love you because God first loved me. That's it. Full stop. And we understand the self-sacrificing love of Jesus, that he died on a cross to save us. And his only agenda was so that we may be loved. And so Ephesians talks about this whole idea about let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes in verse uh, four, chapter 4, verse 23. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. And I really want to think about these fruits, and I really encourage you to look at these when you go home. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You know? These are all different ways we can love others. And so Paul is pretty much saying, love, love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, love. Love, love. For it says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. And so even thinking about these fruits, this is not an extensive list. This is not every fruit because Paul could write other things like self-sacrifice, humility, things that aren't in this section because he doesn't need to keep talking about it. He's kind of getting the point across. These are examples of how to love others. And as I keep saying, and I hope the point is being driven home, is this idea that you are loved because Jesus died on the cross. And so why shouldn't we, or why couldn't we, or why can't we start really looking to how to love others? First John 4 seven onwards beloved let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this is love not that we have loved God but then he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And as the band comes up, I can do that, right? I'm on the message. (laughs) I really want to encourage you today. You've probably heard this sort of message many a times with the fruits. And that's what I thought. I've heard it lots and lots. But you know what? Even for me, it's just a big encouragement to know that God loves me. And so I should be loving others. And not to be a ticker box to say, yep, cool, I love someone today. I was controlled myself today. I was faithfulness today. No, no, no. But that I'm guided by the Holy Spirit to love. And you know what? We might not always do it. We might fail some days. God's already made a way for us to understand that it's okay. I still love you. And we're a work in progress. Because the fruit of the Spirit comes on us over a long period of time, sanctifying and transforming us. But we always need to be thoughtful of it. So I encourage you today, let us love like Christ has loved us. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the love that you have given us. The love that you've given us before we were even born, through Jesus, his death, his resurrection, imparting of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you just do all these things so that we can be reconciled to you, the greatest love of all, true love. I pray today that we can take hold of this message that Paul has written to the Galatians and take hold and understand that you are ready to move in us. We just need to make those decisions. I pray at times that it can be easy to make those decisions, but Lord, you are with us nonetheless. I thank you, Father, for the love that you give us. In the name of Jesus, amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.